Hi, this is Kenny. And this is Mark. And this is all I want to do is talk about Madonna. You must love me and Evita. Very special episode. Oh my God, Kenny. We've been waiting our whole lives for this. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if I've been waiting my life for this. I've been trying to avoid this. I don't know why. I Well, first, I have a few things to say. Number one, I'd like to dedicate my work on this episode to Brian Few and Doug McGraw. Brian Few is the uh, fraternity brother of mine who I used to hang out in my dorm room at Otterbein College. Hello, 212 Cowan Hall. And um, sing the Avita soundtrack with him. He played Che. He was my Che. And I was Madonna as Ava Perone because the keys are all singable on the Avita, on, on, on Madonna's version. And um, Doug McGraw is my best friend and uh, the biggest Andrew Lloyd Webber fan I know. And um, we have had many, 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 many fights because I am a Sondheimite. He is an Andrew Lloyd Webberite. And uh, we are finally meeting here on Avita. <laughs> I, I love these dedications. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Not, I don't have any dedications. Okay. Well, Brian will come back into the conversation, I have a feeling, because okay. a lot happened. Well, we also have a special guest here today with us, um, a colleague of mine from Marymount Manhattan College, Dr. Emily Clark, whose, hey, whose research is on Broadway and celebrity culture and seemed like the perfect person to come spend the day with us to talk about Evita. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited. We're very excited too. Um, so, hey, Mark, do we want to start with like just like the things leading up to the film and the making of the movie and all? Of that? course. Um, as you know, Evita is the Broadway musical, the hit Broadway musical from 1978 or 79, uh, 78, 79, 79 season, right? Um, I'm looking at Emily because Emily uh, knows the show intimately. Um, And it was first a concept album, a white concept rock album, similar to Jesus Christ Superstar was uh, that Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote. And they really it's a it's a musical about it's a concept album about celebrity, really, um, because it's a musical that is about the rise and fall of. Argentinian uh, leader Juan Perón and his more specifically his wife, Ava, um, who's basically kind of like the first lady of Argentina. And um, Julie Covington, uh, a British singer um, with a very high nasal voice, played the role on the concept album. And then when it was made into a Broadway musical or a, a London musical, Elaine Page uh, became a star basically doing uh, Ava. Um, and then it was on Broadway famously, and we will get into all of that, starring Patti LuPone and, and Mandy Patinkin, um, directed by Hal Prince. Um, and then it went into a very strange uh, film development hell for 20 years, which is insane. Yeah, those film rights were picked up by Paramount in 81. And I think everyone thought it was going to kind of... Uh, right off the coattails of the success of the Broadway show. And then it was in this kind of purgatory about who was, how it was going to be made. You're right. Well, and, and how, how many, uh, how, was it more about the, the directing, the director um, purgatory, or was it finding an, an, an Ava? I mean, I think that was 
all part of it. Right? <laughs> um, you know, one of the, what even just for the Broadway production, People Magazine, when Patti Lapone was cast as an unknown actress, um, People Magazine reported, they said, I have to find the quote because it's just the best, says, you know, when Raquel Welch, Meryl Streep, and Faye Dunaway put out feelers for a plum stage role, what's a director to do? Well, Harold Prince bypassed all of them in casting the U.S. version of the London smash Evita. His surprise choice to play Argentinian First Lady Ava Perón, little-known New York actress Patty Ann Lapone. It's fun, says Prince with Barnum-esque aplomb to make a star. And I think there's so much pressure. I know. It's such a juicy People magazine quote. I love it. Trash. Those people are trash. (laughs) Well, listen, I just want to put a little note next to that because I think there's something about having an unknown or a little known star in the role of Evita that is actually really important Mm-hmm. And is problematic when we get to this film. So, um, but let's just hold on to that because I want to come back to that as we go, we go further. I agree. I can't wait to discuss this. Well, and I I think what what I find so interesting about the development period of this is that all of those actresses continued to be in the mix, and Meryl Streep famously, um, I think, has even done even did a demo recording of it in the mm-hmm. in the late eighties around the postcards from the edge era when she was actually discovered as actually could actually sing. Um, Liza Minnelli, I know, did uh, a uh, a screen test with a blonde wig in the in the early eighties, like eighty four, <laughs> eighty five. I mean, it's it's like a crazy. Div- Oliver Stone was supposed to do the movie with with Meryl Streep. Right. Well, he still gets the writing credit on the screenplay. Yeah, Correct. screenplay. So it's like this weird, weird, it's kind of like the Chicago musical, which continued to always have these different incarnations of like Chicago's going to be done as a musical. And, and, um, and I, I have to imagine that the dearth of successful musical to movie adaptations in the eighties also probably played a part in it, not happening. I mean, Little Shop of Horrors was not yeah. a success. Um, a chorus line was not a success as a movie when they when those finally made it to to the film. The Wiz was a famous flop um right around the time the movie rights were purchased. So it's like this weird, it's not a hip time for Broadway musicals to be made into movies. And I think uh, thinking about the movie, which I have to confess, I've only seen one time before returning to it for this uh, discussion. I just watched it again. Um, it's a whole different animal. And listening to the Broadway cast album again and um, having seen all the videos and everything of, of Patti LuPone, I mean, she's kind of amazing. She's kind of amazing. 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 And not to get all Ben Rimmelauer about it, but like this is like a a definitive Broadway role sung by a definitive Broadway voice in these keys that are like insane, insane, insane. And and it defined her career. I mean, it has defined her career in many ways, but it like haunted her career for at least the next 20 years and whatever, you know, she says as well, no one could see her as anything, but like a blonde 
diva. And I'm like, well, <laughs> maybe not the blonde, Burnett, but still, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, she says that, you know, the Marvin Carlson is a um, theater historian and theorist who talks about um, the haunting of the musical stage or the mm. haunting of the theatrical stage and how roles can haunt an actor. Um, and even then the role can then be, you know, if Ava haunted uh, Patty, but also Patty then haunted the role of Ava for any subsequent performer. You know what I mean? And you brought up Liza Minnelli. I think Liza Minnelli haunts, you know, um, Sally Bowles more than anything. If we think yeah. about that kind of haunting and just everyone is compared to that person because of that aura and that presence. And I just think of this show is so haunted and this role is so particularly haunted in so many ways. Those terms, I just can't erase them from like my thought process of this piece. Lupone continues to haunt the role. I don't care. Absolutely. And, and, she, and she has done amazing things in her career. I mean, I, I think she's in a, she is one of my absolute top two legendary performers. I drop everything to see her and she's on Broadway right now. So it's like, she continues yeah. to go, but um I think that the way that the development of the musical um, continued to be mired, it was in part because um, of Lupone and that cast album and and yeah. just kind of nobody. And I think still nobody captures kind of the earthiness of Evita and the singing and the cold uh, dictatorship of it. Because I think what is interesting yes. about the film is the way that Madonna tries to humanize Evita despite the material, which I yes. think is really interesting. But anyway, um, Madonna decides she wants to do Evita <laughs> and um, goes to Robert Stigwood, <laughs> basically saying, hey, dressed as a 1940s Evita and says, hey, I'd really like to play the part. And I think Francis Ford Coppola should direct the movie. <laughs> and that doesn't happen. <laughs> No. This is around. This is around the time that he's um, putting together the Godfather three, and I think Madonna was at mm. one point considered for the role of the of the daughter Mary. Yeah. And so I think as yeah. he's like, "Hey, be in my movie and make it a big hit," and she's like, "Hey, why don't we do Evita?" Yeah, and and then she sort of lost it, and then she got it back, and then she lost it. Right? It was like a whole series of things. It was a, it was a lot about the directors. It was a yeah. lot about the directors saying, "I I will never," and producers basically being like, "They you know Oliver Stone wanted Meryl Streep, um, Robert Stigwood wanted different people over the yeah. time, and then all of a sudden, like Alan Parker um, was now attached to direct it, and Antonio Banderas was cast." which I think is very key because we're returning to our buddy Antonio Banderas from Truth or Dare. And Madonna wrote, famously, wrote a letter as she is wont to do. Right, Kenny? Yes, she writes great letters. She And the, the <laughs> length of the letter changes every time she's told the story. It was oh, I love it. Letter. Oprah, it's like 25 pages. Page and on, on Rosie O'Donnell, letter. it's yeah. like six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a long letter, according to Madonna, about why she should play. And then she also says that she eventually sent her Take a Bow video to say, you know, here's how I look in Spanish flair. You know, <laughs> um, well, I fit right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And arguably, I think Madonna was 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 campaigning for the role throughout 1994, 1995 to get it for sure. Well, yeah, I think even a little earlier than that, 
as well. But I want to go back to just this thing of like why it was so hard to get the movie made because I think it, it it's sort of it isn't necessarily it is about the director and the star and all that, but I actually think it's the material itself sure. and that the piece and Emily, you can tell me what you think. Like the piece itself to me feels so because of the way Harold Prince directed it, so highly theatrical. It is so yeah. a stage play. And how do you interpret that for film? And it's a political piece that's not exactly, it's not like a feel-good movie or feel-good story. It's really tough. And like, I think Oliver Stone, my guess is, went really far into the political side of it. And that was too much for a lot of people, you know? And then, so I, I don't know, Emily, I don't know. What do you think about all of that? I mean, I, uh, that's something that I always, you know, have written down in my notes and and I always think about this piece and it's actually what, um, I know tangent, I'll come back. Um, also I objected to moments in the 2012 revival because I felt they tried to make this very highly theatrical non-realism. I mean, all musicals kind of don't fit in that world, but of, of all of them, this is very Brechtian, very kind of, um, um, alienation effect, especially in the way that that um, Prince originally directed it and conceived it, then to add these elements of realism, they don't quite work. I mean, they're playing musical chairs in Art of the Possible. That's not real. Like, you can't make that work. And so the aesthetic, like in the revival, was that was done that way. And it just didn't quite work with Elena Rogers and Ricky Martin. It didn't quite work for me. Um, but, you know... <laughs> I think the film does it a really successful job of marrying the like non-diegetic moments like coming out of emotion and and letting stuff be letting the score be kind of underscoring like even the song they added right which is a I, I a beautiful addition that gets used in stage productions um subsequently you must love me right yeah. um it's not put in as a diegetic performance. It's used essentially as underscoring. And that's so smart in that aesthetic. I think the adaptation was really uh, keen. It's just tough. And I see that being the issue. And that was the, that those were the mixed reviews in London. Those were the mixed reviews on Broadway. I mean, this is one of the one of those shows that they talk about is being critic proof because the reviews were mixed to negative for the yeah. most part in both locations and LA and San Francisco before it came to Broadway um, in their out of town tryouts. And part of it was because of just what you said. It's so dark. It's um, uh, you know, the setting, the design black with you know black and white images of the perones and things coming out of their life like giving you those real those real photographs and giving you the real film to juxtapose what's happening like in performance on stage and that is that's that removes you from that and and that's something walter kerr wrote about in the times review of feeling this remove from this heroine yet the structure of the musical makes you root for the heroine. That's like inherently how a, how the musical works. So even though it's harsh, she's a, she's you know in bed literally with a dictator and part of this, you know, this world, we root for her because that's what 
like the musical structure inherently does. And so all of these things are kind of clashing. And then Madonna's interpretation of really not wanting her to be heart that have so much of the harsh abrasiveness just all conflates that. And I think that's partially why, as you said, it was difficult to conceive of this as a film. Um, but I, I, I'm, I think I might be in the minority. I like love it. I love it. I think it's so great. I thought it was just so well done, honestly. <laughs> well, and it does something. I think to kind of transition to the movie, I think that there's a chat. I think I think when I watch film adaptations of Broadway shows, the best ones I find are the ones that are staged versions of the show, like filmed versions of the stage shows. The the to, to not surprise. Surprisingly, the Into the Woods, the Sunday in the Park with George that were for great performances and things like that. The Sweeney Todd that um, Angela Lansbury and George Hearn filmed in L.A. during the tour. Those are where it captures the energy. And what's so challenging, and I think what is so challenging about this show, Evita and again, that original uh, Broadway cast album, there's a particular energy that doesn't translate to the screen in the same way but what alan parker and and the film does it 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 gives you the epicness of the journey of evita and the epicness of the political situation and you have these real huge crowds and you've got alan parker getting the casa rosada location she she he gets the government to let them shoot there well does he or does madonna madonna says she got it she went and had the meeting on the island with the president or the, i think everything was in place they just, <laughs> they just hadn't signed the paperwork and madonna's like i'll go in and have tea she <laughs> claims it's a lot more her, but of course this is her claim. Hey, can we just talk about Alan Parker as why he was the director that was able to make this? Like, and because I think you know he had really already by this point a track record of doing, you know, musicals, movie yeah. musicals. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and two really definitive ones. I mean, I think Fame for me was the one that like probably made me want to go into the theater. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and the wall, which is just an iconic, excuse me, Mark, it is truly right. An iconic film <laughs> of an iconic. The only film. thing iconic about Avita is Patti LuPone's performance. That's all I'm going to allow for the world. Thank you. Well, I'm not saying about Avita, but I'm saying the wall, Pink yeah. Floyd's The Wall, another yeah. concept album that he brought to yeah. life in this really, really powerful way that I don't think um, that sort of gave him a sense of like, uh, experience with this kind of storytelling or the possibility of telling mu a musical through film, you know? Um, well, in hindsight, it seems like he's like the obvious choice. Like, I mean, you know, Oliver Stone famously, instead of doing Evita, did the Doors movie, which is right. his kind of other musical. And it's not a success. Like now I'm kind of like, why would Oliver Stone have been a good choice for this movie after watching the Doors? Because but Alan Parker has that blend of like hip commercial energy and rock and, oh, yeah. epicness. and didn't he do the commitments? And too? yeah, he did yeah. the commitments and political film he did mississippi burning just a yeah. couple years before that too which was also i mean an yeah. amazing cast hugely uh, you know political and a difficult piece to do as well yeah yeah so he brought all of that together in a really interesting way mm -hmm. 
Emily, what were you excited when when the movie was like coming together, actually coming together? And and what did you think? Because because you're not I mean, I, I'm assuming you're not a huge Madonna fan the way we are. But like, were you were, did you think it was a great idea? Were you excited it was actually happening after all these years? Like, what was your feel? Do you remember what you were feeling in 1996? Um, don't groan, but I was definitely like in seventh grade. So I was, you know, it was like, <laughs> like, good for you, Emily. Till next time. <laughs> However, you know, as a kid, I love, I love Madonna. I love, I, I had little Madonna outfits. I had a, I had a gap between my two front teeth and was like, you know, like, stark blonde as a child it's darkened a little as I got older but and I would run around singing lucky star and like holiday in my hot pink like weird outfit that my mom bought me um and I you know I love I loved her um and her pop star kind of I hadn't seen any movies I didn't know more of the controversial stuff because I was you know I was young and but I loved her music and I I, uh I (laughs) I was also obsessed with Mandy Patinkin as a kid. So I had listened to the Athena cast album a lot. Um, I wasn't a big musical theater person, honestly, as a child that didn't really come in. My kind of entryway was rent, which was when I was in high school, which is right. It's just a little after this. It's kind of Mm -hmm. the same period, but that for me, so I know it was a little later, but this had pieces that I loved, you know, it had aspects that I loved and I also, this is so silly and random, but I love, um, I remember as a kid watching the movie witness with my mom, Harrison Ford going and living with the Amish and, and pilot Pone's like his sister, like a bit part in it. And I remember being a kid and my mom saying she was a beat on Broadway and they're never going to let her do it in the film. And that was all <laughs> as a child, like saying like for her, but they should. And I just remember being like, that's my, that random bit part in Witness was my first introduction to Patti LaPone, other than listening to the album. I hadn't connected all these dots yet. And so, you know, as someone in the theater and in music and who knew this, even though not really engaged in it yet, any musical that was made into a movie, I was four. So it was, you know, it was excited to go see. And my older, my older brother is also obsessed with Madonna and he, and we went to go see it. Um, together so much so that when we I took him to see the revival with the 2012 revival and he's like this is not the Madonna version it's like all he <laughs> no, says it's to me not, and he's like no. I'm missing Madonna he's like she's she's not it like, I'm like okay sorry Elena one of my <laughs> friends who's a musical theater actor said when we were this was I guess when we were in college or graduate school she said you know it's such a shame the whole generation of actors are gonna think that you know the Madonna Evita is the definitive Evita and she she was really bemoaning that mm. you know but um, I think that's funny because there is people who are like that's their only exposure to it like I yeah. honestly have never really listened full through to the original Evita, mm. you know, um, score oh. with with or the Broadway version of it. I've never yeah. listened to it. So oh, yeah. you you deserve to t- treat yourself, Kenny. You have deserved. It's a blast. Yeah. Okay. Screw the middle classes. You got to oh. listen to her do it. They cut half those lines in the movie. You have to listen to her oh. sing that portion. I love it. I love it. I love it.
the chance to shine in this city. Let's talk a little bit about the actual musical and the score of it, because what I was thrilled by in returning to it for this conversation is how great the score is. It is for me. I think it's Andrew Lloyd Webber's best score. Um, because I think he and Tim Rice learned a lot of lessons from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Jesus Christ Superstar and had then had production work. So it feels a lot more theatrical than those shows did. And uh, I just, I love, there's that stretch from like, you know, Buenos Aires until um, a new Argentina that is just thrilling. And it's a it's a great, great score. Um, and yet it's this tiny little show. It's got like three characters in it, really. I mean, it, it and, yeah. and and Magaldi coming coming in and out of it a little bit. And the mistress for one number to like give whoever's whomever's playing Ava a, bra- a breather, essentially, yeah. is what that's there for. Yeah. Yeah. But then they give it to um, Madonna in the movie. So she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't even get that. But that that helps humanize, as Kenny brought up earlier, like putting showing that, you know, she was in in those shoes, not the perpetrator, or, you know, or the, you know, always yeah. kicking someone out. And I, I, I'll put this in there. The City Center did a production 2019, mm-hmm. um, Soleil Pfeiffer and Jason Cote. And what they did with the. Um, mistress, I thought to me is the most successful version. Cause I understand why giving it to Ava. I do. I, yeah. I get it. It, 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 it didn't work that way in the movie. It's like Magaldi's going to walk you to his house and then be to his door and be like, bye, here's my wife and kid. Like, that's not how that doesn't Wait, work. And give the wife a little moment to sigh heavily. Cause the burden like, of being Magaldi's wife. <laughs> her, I, I, it was horrible. Anyway, but so, I, but I get why that why doing that. But in in the uh, at City Center, they used two different actresses, like age fifteen to twenty for Ava had one actress, and then um, yeah. uh, adult Ava. And in another suitcase, you had the mistress singing it. And instead of um, uh, instead of Che and other men filling out the background, it was Ava and her younger self that were the harmonies in the background. Oh wow! Like. And the younger self, we were seeing the younger self being that girl in that position and Ava realizing she was doing it, but was also part of this kind of triptych. It worked really well to me. I'm just putting a plug. That was a beautiful way to do the and it's an interesting song because it, 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 it is a humanizing moment. It is a song that was actually a single um, off the album, yeah. like they released yeah, it pop as a album. single. Yeah. yeah. Expect my love affairs to last for long. Never fool myself that my dreams will come true. Being used to trouble, I anticipate it. But all the same, I hate it. Wouldn't you? So what happens now? Where am I going to? Where am I going to? I 
And um, and I think it's a beautiful re- recording of it. it. And it does humanize her early on. Um, and it's an interesting, it, 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 the musical has all of these kind of crazy interludes of stuff. And the, mm-hmm. the one of the big discoveries for me this time around, first of all, the song I'd Be Surprisingly Good For You is, is probably one of my favorite Andrew Lloyd Webber songs. <laughs> and, um, and the other one that I loved this time in discovering was The Ladies Got Potential which mm-hmm. is a Che number where he kind of um, narrates how Juan Perón um, ascends. Um, and it has my favorite lyric, Kapow Die, which, you know, <laughs> I think is amazing. And, and that number was on the, um, the white uh, concept album. Then they, they turned it into the art of the, impo- of the possible for yeah. the, the productions. And then they brought it back. And it, it, it's kind of a better number for the film. In June of 43, there was a military coup. Behind it was a gang called the GOU, who did not feel that need to be elected. They had themselves a party at the point of a gun that was lightly to the right of a tool of their hand. A bomb or two, and very few objected. They did. They did amp up the rock in the film version. Mm-hmm. It's not quite so rocky on stage. Like the beginning, that first. Yeah. Oh, we're in a slightly different world. Um, I, as you're saying this, and I'm sitting here, and you're like, "This is my favorite." I'm sitting here thinking through my favorite song. I love. I really do love them all. I love this score. I'm with yeah. you on that. It's Andrew A. Weber's best score. It's. It, it, it's. The songs are so interesting. They're so different. The the play, the storytelling in each has little individual moments. I don't feel. I honestly, I I don't feel like any are filler. Um, it just feels so. You know, it's so. They're just so strong. I just sit here and I'm like, oh, I I love Rainbow High. Yeah. <laughs> I love like. Oh my gosh, I love aristocracy, the kind of aristocracy and the and the the military moving through. Um, I it's just so clever. I love it so much. Up the watering holes of the world to do. I detect a resistance to our heroine style. I really do feel like this is a moment where I, I kind of feel like it deserves a revisit because so much about Evita is always about the star and the yeah. drama around who's the best Evita and who was the best replacement Evita and, you know, who owns Don't Cry For Me Argentina. And, um, yeah. and unlike, say, like a Sunset Boulevard, which I feel like is built up on two big arias that if you can deliver those, it's a successful production and you don't really need to care about the rest of the score. This show, the rest of the score is just as important as the tent poles of it. Yeah. 
Yeah, Kenny, what do I you mean, think about that? I mean, because well, like yeah. you're not as musical theatery about it no, as we are. No. Well, I want to. Yeah, I have a whole <laughs> bunch of stuff to say because I when this when this came out and when I knew that she was doing Evita, I was like this. And this is for me the first time this happens in the Madonna career, but it happens a few more times, including Madame X, which just, you know, like where I feel like Madonna's like, I'm going to go this way and you all have to follow. And I'm like, hey. OK, Madonna, if you say so, I'll be there. <laughs> like, I feel like oh, I'm your good friend, so I'll show up for this if you want to do this musical fine i'm here for you um and honestly that's what i remembered from the first when i when this came out that i was not i was trying to get excited about it but i wasn't really feeling it um because all i really wanted was the pop music you know so but this time going back and doing research and listening to the score again and watching the film I concur. Like I thought the score is just phenomenally beautiful. And I remember listening to it all the time because I was, you know, it was the new Madonna album for me and thinking about her voice in the album, but also how, how thrilling the score was, how seamless it was. And in the film, like you were saying, Emily, the underscoring and the way it just plays through, it's just so gorgeous. Like it's just gorgeous and dissonant in the right times. And it tell like, it has character, like when, and the, the things that repeat the motifs that come back and I start to understand what emotion we're in or whose voice we're mm-hmm. hearing. I thought that is like, so, you know, that to me feels like musical theater one oh one, but also so sophisticated, you know, like it felt like almost close to opera in that way, you know, um, in a really beautiful pop opera in a really beautiful way. I think then this point about like, you know, how the story, and this is what I was saying before about how Madonna as the star, as superstar taking the role of Evita really skews this show in a way that makes it like so much about like, what is she doing in the this show? What is, you know, how do we look at what her voice in the show? Whereas actually like, I really, I think I said this to you, Mark, like, I really wish that there had been a world where there had been a relatively unknown person playing Ava Perone, because I think the show would have been back in balance, right? Like where we could see that um, it wouldn't be so much about like her at the center of the score and what her voice did as much as like Ava Perone as, I guess, celebrity or political celebrity and the country's relationship to her, which is what I got from the movie because I was so much more involved with Antonio Banderas's performance, that sort of look to the camera, the way that he loves her and hates her and that the tango at the end is the story for me. It's like, we're in this dance. I can't let you go. I don't want to let you go, but I also want to destroy you or I want you to die, you know, or you're in the way, but you're also the most, the greatest thing that's happened. And that, somehow she at the center as Madonna stopped me from seeing that the first time or like I couldn't understand it. Um, Though I also think that's my relationship to Madonna. So then I thought, oh, now I understand it more. But then I thought like for the score for me, sorry, I'm going back to the score. You know, I love the poppiest moment. I love Buenos Aires. And I know Mark is like, oh, that's the trash song. Too. I get out here 
but I love that. True. I don't think it's trash. I think it's a. I mean, it's. I think the remixes are silly, but I love the remixes. The remixes are silly. It's 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 such a craven move to like let's make a dance mix out of the poppiest song on the record. Well, they also make an amazing dance mix out of "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina," which we have to talk about. We have to um, talk about "Don't Cry for Me." Argentina. Nikki and Donna show up for that, but um, uh, but finally they're back. <laughs> But actually, my least favorite song in the score is Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. I really don't like that song. And for a long time, I didn't understand it. This last time watching it, I was like, oh, I understand what this song is now. But maybe because of the iconography about that song, like I just that's the moment where I'm like, this is a slog. Like, that's how I feel in that song. Or it's just too much for me. But I don't know. Thoughts, feelings. I think it works better in the movie than it does in the musical, because in the musical, it's like right at the top of act two, which does make it feel like, what are we doing with this slow, long ballad? Um, And it's a weird signature song to have because the song ends and then you have that huge orchestral like swelling at the end, which is weird. Um, And I see I've seen it performed out of context a lot. And actually the version I love the most is Madonna's in, during the sticky and sweet tour when, oh, yeah. when she did it in, in South, in, in, in South America. She did it in Be- Buenos Aires. Yeah. She did it in yeah. Buenos Aires and, and it, it's gorgeous because um, it's done in a way that's stripped down without all of the, the theatricality of the original. Um, and I think that it, it, it makes it a more intimate song. It won't be easy. You'll think it's strange when I try to explain how I feel that I still need your love after all that I've done. You won't be Dressed up to the nines at sixes and sevens with But what happens in the movie, it has all of that crazy epicness. And the fact Madonna's on that that stage and she's giving it her all and there's that crowd. And I love the moment of the crowd cheering and Antonio Banderas in the crowd. The one person, Che, Mm -hmm. knowing how fucked up this is, knowing how manipulated they're all being they're being manipulated by her yeah and i mean that's she i mean they're talking about it right Uh, it it goes into that intimate scene and it's just them she's like just listen to that and it's like i just made them all you know 
um, the voice of Argentina. We are adored. We are loved. Right. But, but it's all a show. It's all performance and she knows it. And that to me, that, that, that lyric moment, that in between that back coming, it coming together. And in the movie with Antonio Banderas, giving us that look as Che and then, we're able to get inside that room much more easily on stage. They, they would rotate, right. It rotated around to get back yeah. inside, which is weird. Um, but that's the key. And when everyone is cheering still for the, you know, the Ava moment, we lose that because you're all just in, in the palm of her hand. But at the same time, I'm like, but that's the point. Like, yeah. isn't it smart? It's so smart. Same well, time. and to your your point, Kenny, mm-hmm. that would be a moment where an unknown actress, like watching an unknown go from the beginning of the show, this would be the moment if it was a, a star, she turns into a star in that in, in the moment of Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. And that would make, because my biggest thing about the early parts of the music, of the film are A, uh, and I love Jimmy Nail as Magaldi. I think he's so wonderful mm-hmm. in the yeah, movie. Yeah. And, and an under, and, and you know, Madonna around this time, always uh, in her thank yous and every, all of the press around it, she always mentioned since Jonathan Price and Antonio Banderas and Jimmy Nail. So I think yeah. she values his contribution as well. But my, besides Jimmy Nail, the rest of the, the family, all the other people are just kind of bland substitutes vocally and physically. And Madonna's 38 playing 15 and she's still Madonna. She's Madonna. So, do you know well, that, what it, like yeah, like she's yeah. already a star so like well, yeah. by the time yeah. we get to don't cry for me argentina and a new argentina she, she, she's she, there's nowhere for her to go she's already it's anticlimactic yeah. Yeah. yeah yes i think that's right there's no way to for her to ever shed her madonna-ness and that that i think gets in the way of the role i also think that interpretation of finding the softness in ava is interesting but ultimately for me incorrect meaning like and it's only because a superstar who has been through a moment where people look at her as an icon and that she has no feelings would make that choice because she's like no i am human i am human yeah whereas i actually don't think that the script or the world of the play asks or needs that and in fact like she i think that to your point emily about that moment of like look i got them in the palm of my hands we got them that you know madonna sings don't cry for me argentina earnest like she means it. Yeah. Like she really believes she's the people. And and maybe there is a part of Ava Perone who really did believe she was part of the people and that she was saving them. But I think that in the play or the musical, yeah, it is this duplicity of like I've created an image that I now know the people will love and will get us to where we need to go. Yeah. And I did it calculatedly. And Madonna didn't want to show that because that's scary for her. She's always, yeah. you know, yeah. she refuses to be calculated. And I'm also juxtaposing it to the number before, which in the film, it doesn't have an intermission break. So right before you're seeing new Argentina, right. And you're seeing this very harsh, very well, less high than Patty did it, but very high, right? Much um, very l- like an octave lower than Patty. <laughs> <know>. Thank you. <laughs> I um, I was being nice. Um, <laughs> I'm not. You know, moment, <laughs> and you can, you know, I see though in that journey of not having that break, really needing to juxtapose the Avas that that we've just seen on. Or, or her desire as an embodiment of Ava to want to shift that and say, I'm not just this that you just saw. Here's this other side. And then, of course, the added 
you must love me also does that. And whether the you is Perone, the you is the audience, the you is the Argentinian, you know, however you interpret that. Right. Mm. Well, in, in a new Argentina, one of my favorite moments is, is when she says, you'll, will, you'll be handed power on a plate. And, yes. and that's a very Ooh. telling moment in Yo. the show. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but in the yeah. movie, it's a very like, like, and again, I think this is where the movie suffers the vocals because there's something about the octave and Lupone has talked about this in her book. She'll talk about it with anybody and how brutal the score is for her vocally, (laughs) but there's something about where it hits in her voice that makes it. It's that. That pingy. Yeah. That's kind of unpleasant and also kind of thrilling because she can hit it that when it's dropped lower, it's more conversational and it's less threatening. Yeah. And you sacrifice yeah. that. Yes, absolutely. What do you think? Um, I mean, when I the only time I've seen Andrew Lloyd Webber talk about the Madonna version, he's he's giving like the political line, like, oh, she's great, you know, all the stuff. Let's talk about the film Evita. Many actresses wanted to play it. Now, you have said, I think, that Madonna was not your first choice. No, uh, I, I haven't. I, mean, I, I always thought Madonna was a very, very intelligent idea. I mean, it, if you wanted to go for a piece of sort of type cast and character casting, yeah. it's, it's brilliant. And uh, she, does, um, she does come over as, as that. I mean, she plays Madonna, really. Obviously, concessions were made, you know. And so is there any, have, is there anything in the in the conversation where they talk about what they lost and what they gained or because I think this thing about the score and where the vocals hit and I, I again, not having heard Patty Lapone's do it, but I understand what you're saying about like, I know, don't give me that look, Mark. I'm just shocked. shocked. You're a homosexual you. in Both your fifties, you. Kenny. Where have you been? Where have you, know you been? I, I, I'm going <laughs> to just say it right now. I, I, there's something about Patty Lapone that I don't like. And so I like, I like avoid. Yeah. Um, but I will go and do it, you guys, for you. Um, <laughs> in, in all honesty, and we'll, we'll put this in our show notes, uh, um, you should watch the the Tony Award performance of yeah. her performing Rainbow, okay. the, um, uh, New Argentina. Yeah. Because that's, that's where you see her as Evita hitting the notes so effortless. It's like thrill. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to go through the whole thing. You can just... And if you like that... Then maybe you should look at listen to the rest of the album. But if not, don't. No one's forcing you to do anything you don't want to do, Kenny.
Um, I think, uh, um, Emily, I think that uh, uh, what what do you know about like the concessions and the discussions around? Because, you know, Madonna famously um, studied with Joan later and basically reinvented her voice around this time. Yeah. And she'd already been taking voice lessons. And we've talked in previous episodes about how her voice has really started to stretch and be flexible. And, um, you know, she had just done two songs with David Foster that were very um, different vocally than she'd done before. And um, so, and, and I, I do think the the vocals are accomplished and confident on the, yeah. on the I do too. And I think they're done in her, her way and she's using them, you know, she's using her instrument and in her storytelling, right. I might not always like all the choices. I think because it is a weaker instrument, she cuts off phrases all the time, like breaks in the middle of a, of a, of a sentence, yeah. but that's everyone. I mean, look, I teach musical theater. I, I feel like every day I'm like, it's not a period yet. Like You have to get to the period. Um, like every other day in class. And that's, you know, but she a shout out to Emily's know, students listening to this. Episode. No, they will, they will go punctuation and phrasing. Like, that's all I say. I'm like, punctuation and phrasing, you know, and that's what I would have told Madonna. Okay. Madonna. Um, and and I think that's something that Patty would have said too, right? I mean, she said, she's like, I just watched the other day, like one of her interviews with Andy Cohen talking about this, even oh, from yeah. like three years ago, right? Or, you know, 2017, I guess. Well, I was on the <laughs> treadmill and I would, you know, when MTV used to have videos, yes. right? And I saw, I believe it was Buenos Aires and I thought it was a piece of shit. Madonna is a movie killer. She's dead behind the eyes. She cannot act her way out of a paper bag. She should not be on in, in, in film or on stage. She, she's a wonderful, you know, performer for what she does, but she is not an actress. Bang. I do think it's important. I know we're talking about the vocals, but Patti Lapone went to Juilliard for acting and her big, she's always said she is an actor storyteller first. Correct. She just happens to have this like monster instrument. Um, and to me, actually, I think I, I don't think those can be separated in this discussion because so much of that vocal quality is along with storytelling. And when I'm pulling back, I'm saying, I do think Madonna is telling, using that instrument to tell the story as she can. And I don't, I honestly, and I went and rewatched it for today too. It had been a while. I don't think it's as bad as people, as people responded initially. I don't, it's different. It's not because she had different goals. It's not the same as, as, as a pile as Elaine Page as you know, as any other of folks we're talking about. Um, it's just different. It's just hers. And that softening is you even more. So makes the audience soften for Ava, I think, um, in the film, which I don't think helps serve the story, but it's what's happening. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's my question of like, when in the process did Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice say, well, okay, that's the way we're going and we're okay with that. 
or we like that. I mean, they wrote, you must love me. I'm guessing that was to support this interpretation, right? And, and Madonna's vocals and Madonna's vocals, because I think that like, you must love me, um, which really is the, is the topic of today's uh, episode because it's the, it's the only new song. It's really the only new song on the album. And, um, and it is, it, it, it's a tailor-made song for Madonna's voice in this yeah. interpretation, as you mentioned, Emily. Yeah. You have written a new song for Evita, for Madonna. I was a bit worried because, they, because the first thing, of course, these film people say is they said, we must have a new song. And they said, well, why must we have a new song? Um, and they said, well, we must have a new song. Deep in my heart, I'm concealing things that I'm longing to say. The new song is titled, You Must Love Me. Frightened, you'll slip away. And they hadn't worked together like since they, this was this was their last collaboration until they did something for Queen Elizabeth, like for an, a birthday or anniversary, like a small thing. The only time they ever came together again was to write "You Must Love Me," Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber, which I think is important that their relationship fractured after this. Piece oh really? Was, I didn't know produced. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. yeah. Uh, famously, it did. Famously, it did yeah. because I think the success of it, their egos, they're, they're kind of yep. they're kind of the Simon and Garfunkel of musical theater. <laughs> um, Andrew Lloyd Webber being Paul Simon, and um, because because and I think a lot of it had to do with Elaine Page and and Tim Rice's relationship with Elaine Page at mm -hmm. that time and a lot of the drama. But you know, when you have the possibility of winning an Oscar. You get yep. together and write a song. And I think yep. that this was one of those moments where they did. Um, I, I also want to shout out David Caddick, who um, was the assistant conductor on the Avita recordings and one of the mm. three people Madonna thanks in the liner notes. And I have a feeling he's the one who was guiding her during mm. the recording session, yeah. which was done before they shot the film. So a lot of the choices that they made in the, in the recording studio was what they had to kind of go with when they were shooting yeah. the movie, which well, is said, always a tricky thing. You know, there was, there's that story of how they tried to record it one way where I guess, was it when she, they were trying to record it with her and the orchestra in the same space and it just wasn't working and they had a whole sort of breakdown when they were in London and then they decided to do it in a different way to support her because I think she was intimidated by being in the space with all of that sound. Is that and right? Those right? Yeah, yeah. And those people, yeah. And those people, and those orchestra, I mean, you know, it, it's yeah. very overwhelming to be with the, the London Philharmonic. <laughs> yeah. And then, and I think that he, David was the one that sort of bridged that for her because she also writes about this in the Vita diaries where she, he's coming to town and she's so excited to see him. And she doesn't talk a lot about the people on the film, like spending social time with them. You know, in fact, it sounds like her and Jonathan Price got along, but never spent any social time together. Antonio as well. Like, or they, it sounded like they talked a little more. It sounded like they're staying in the same hotel. Sorry, I'm going off on the pop stuff, but that's more, you know, like, and all of her experiences in the Avita diary of the making of the film, like the epicness of it, and then how hard it was to film in Buenos Aires, I think is really interesting to me as far as like her relationship to the character and then how the, the character's relationship to Buenos Aires and how she had a hard time 
being there, but also embodying the character, but also trying to hold on to like who she was, but letting go of who she was at the same time. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that seemed to be like part of the drama of making this film for her. Well, and there were a lot of protests. I mean, there were a lot yeah. of protests in yeah. Argentina throughout the, the shooting when they were there. And I think that that was also probably why there was a lot of pressure locally for them not to use the Casa Rosada. And that's yeah. why she, Madonna had to intervene in a tasteful frock and go that's visit right. them. <laughs> that's right. Take a helicopter to his island or somebody's island. Well, there is like a great, amazing, which I watched the other day, an hour-long press conference before they start filming in Buenos Aires where she shows up in full costume with the contact lenses and everything. Jonathan Price, Antonio Banderas, and Alan Parker, and they take questions for an hour. And the audience, the audience which are all reporters, are furious you know, they are like, what are you doing here? You're going to destroy the story. We want you to leave. You're going to tell, you're going to tell the story wrong. And I thought about it a lot while watching it, you know, and um, they all obviously have to be translated because none of them speak Spanish except Antonio Banderas. And when he, and the first 10 minutes, they just are basically attacking Madonna. And it's one of those moments where like, you see why Madonna's Madonna because she just handles it. She just handles it. Um, and it's and she also really, and she's very political. She's like, well, we're not talking about that today. We're talking about this. And she sort of really veers it back. She would like to know, what exactly have you learned or do you know about Peronism, which is a political movement, which is quite debated and polemic. So what have you learned about that political movement? I've learned a great deal about it. And I've also learned that it's a very controversial subject. And, um, and I'd rather not discuss politics because I am here to talk about the movie. You have just said for you, Madonna, that you feel great admiration and respect for Evita. And yet, the character as depicted in the opera, in the musical, uh, well, she's depicted there as an arrivist of someone who just wants to get higher and higher. Isn't there a contradiction between what you say you feel and the character as it is depicted in the musical? No, because that's how I'm going to portray her, as a courageous and respectable woman. Creo que no, porque así es como yo la voy a representar, como una mujer valiente y una mujer admirable, una mujer con mucho coraje. Latino. He would like to know what kind of an impact did uh, uh, did you feel coming from all the negative reactions that uh, could be felt here in Argentina? Well, I can't say I, I didn't feel um, hurt by them. But truthfully, I think that the negative remarks that people have made are based on things that people don't know and don't understand. And I urge you all to form your opinions after you see the movie. But I thought a lot about like how um, the movie could not have been made today with three with a white director and a white, you know what I mean? And, and a white lead and even a white Peron. I mean, the only person who sort of worked in that world was Antonio. And he's of course not from South America. He's from Spain, you know? Um, and that I just thought a lot about like what, 
if somebody were to, and even like, you know, is it even, would anybody allow an Andrew Lloyd Webber who wasn't an Andrew Lloyd Webber at the time to like, would the score be allowed to move forward? Would the story be allowed to move forward with all of these white guys doing it? Or is it just the, the music or the perspective? Because then I also thought about while I was watching it, I was like, well, is this about Argentina or is it really about, um, well, it's about politics. It's about fascism. Is it also about London? Is it about Europe? Is it about America? You know, like, um, and, and in that way, I thought, oh, maybe there's a broader scope to it that allows the, the, the story to land. But I thought the, the, the vitriol and the fury that the, the reporters were giving the film before it started felt to me like they were fighting against like this white supremacist idea of a story that's ours you know, and, um, and I don't know, I don't know, does that resonate with either of you? Well, I have a couple things. First of all, I think, I think that's fascinating that there was such vitriol and it wasn't a new piece. It was Evita, which was established musical and almost 20 years old by that point. So that's the first thing I thought that was, that's interesting that they're so, they know the, they know the piece by now. Argentina. They know it. I mean, I mean, I think it toured. It would have already played yeah. in Argentina. And the other thing is, is that I do think that the 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 show is as much about celebrity. And I think that that's yeah. the biggest thing that everybody gloms onto. I mean, it's the royals. It's our celebrity culture now. It's it's the way we deify pe ordinary people, quote unquote ordinary, and then trash them over and over again. And that's kind of the cycle. And I think that no matter what you're looking at, everybody can identify with that, however your political situation is, regardless of, I think that's the universal quality they're looking at. And Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, I mean, they're both drawn to, I mean, Jesus Christ superstar is the same yeah. kind of thing. It's the same. It's the same. It's a natural extension to, to go to that. Ver, you know, you've got this with Jesus Christ superstar right before. And there's fueling of the, of the controversy of that and being like, Hey, we can dig into this and, you know, and um, who he is in that show and then saying, Hey, there's, here's a, for lack of a better word, I totally get not using this, but like democratic celebrity, right? That's the kind of culture we live in that the people are kind of creating who these celebrities are. And I think, you know, thinking in the mid seventies and about the kind of me generation, right. And, and the, the musicals were very much of the me, 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 right. You've got chorus line right before similarly, right. The me is becoming part of the whole you have, I mean, company, you have these pieces that are about the kind of me, and then you, we have this, but we see them rise to total glamour. We see them fascinate and we see the corruption. And we see the very quick turn and fall. It feels like a very 1970s narrative, not necessarily specifically South American, mm -hmm. not specifically Argentinian, as you were talking about, Kenny, yet... Tim Rice was fascinated by her glamour and her story. He named his daughter Ava. You know, he'd already had this kind of fascination with, with this narrative. And a little, um, Candor and Ebb were also tinkering with writing and Ava Perone musical as well. So I think it was, a, it was a narrative that was speaking to the kind of Broadway glamour of the, of the late 60s and 70s. And with that kind of goal in mind, not letting it only live 
Um, I mean, it's kind of the conversation we've had about West Side Story today. Although that West Side Story film got made with a primarily white creative team in 20, yeah, yeah. made in 2019, 2020, 2021. No. Um, you know, and part of the discussion, so many discussions about that story being told about, well, when does it be, when does it lose the metaphor and when does it live only in what is specified on the stage and the identities that are presented in that story? And when can it be allowed to get, uh, to become metaphorical for beyond that. And Prince was all about the metaphor, right? He's a collaborator in both of these pieces. It's about, here's this narrative, but it's actually about us. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think whatever you want to say about the revival, I do think having Elena Rogers, who wasn't a known person, um, right. play it and and was kind of ethic, ethnically more appropriate was it was an interesting step. And I think that even now, I think it would be done. I have I have I, I, I almost am 100 percent sure that um, the actresses who got to play it wouldn't be playing it today. All, all of the replacements and everything, all of whom were white. Yeah. Women. Yeah. Hey, a few other little things. Um, first, on Jimmy Nail, um, <laughs> you know that he he's like he was like a TV star and a pop star too, right? Yeah. And did you know that he recorded his own version of Love Don't Live Here Anymore? <laughs> yes, there's a video for it. You abandon me, love don't live here anymore. Look back and see Love don't live here anymore When you lived inside of me There was nothing in the world You wouldn't do Trouble seemed so far away, then you changed and went away. And, you and I'm, I'm pointing to oh that too because um, during the filming of Evita, one of the things that had to happen because she was um, rolling out her Something to Remember album was she went and did that video shoot of Love Don't Live Here Anymore in the, video, in the middle of shooting this and she talks about how strange it was to go play Madonna in the middle of playing this character. The other thing I wanted to say is that, do you know that this movie is in the Guinness Book of World Records? You all probably know this. No, I don't. Oh my is God, it, you don't? Can you is it for guess like the why? largest crowd scene or? That's no, what I was going to say. No. Any other guesses? Um, oh God. Probably how much money that they spent wooing the Golden Globe committee. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that next. But, um, I mean, you know. It was um, the most costume changes in any movie ever made. Wow. <laughs> and so when I was watching the movie the other day, it's like she she has so many costumes in this movie and so many different looks. I think it's like, like I don't remember what the number is. I can look it up, but... Um, yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, I counted like 12 during Rainbow High alone. Like I did, yeah. I did count because I was like, look at all these clothes. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's pretty funny and very Madonna. 
Um, just go back to the vocals for a really quick second and the punctuation. Another thing that I think is really an interesting uh, thing about um, Patti LuPone um, is one of the lessons that David Mamet taught her was all about yeah. getting to the end of the sentence. That was a big yeah. lesson that David Mamet and she, by 1978, she had already done several uh, of his plays. So I think yeah. that her training with Mamet definitely informed her acting style and continues to do so. And um, I mean, she just did um, The Anarchist on Broadway for a very short time with David Mamet in the 2000 uh, teens. Yeah. So she's continually collaborating with him. Um, and Madonna obviously had done Speed the Plow with David Mamet in 1988. Mm -hmm. yes, um, yes. So like, I, I find that interesting that she didn't learn that same lesson <laughs> from him <laughs> um, about getting to the end of the sentence before well, and taking the breath. Yeah. What lessons has Madonna learned from her time working with Mamet, Sondheim, and Andrew Lloyd Webber? I mean, when you think about it, it's like, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Um, I I want to talk about uh the Don't Cry For Me remixes. Let's talk about Don't Cry For Me Argentina. Um, because I was in college. I was finally in college. I was finally going out to gay dance clubs in Columbus, Ohio. And I remember dancing. The first time I ever took my shirt off in a club was when the Don't Cry For Me Argentina remixes came out oh. in 1990, the, the, the New Year's Eve 1996. They yes. premiered them at New Year's Eve at the Eagle in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and I was listening to the Miami mix and Wait having a ball. Are you saying they premiered them in the world at the Eagle Club in Columbus? No, I'm saying they premiered them in Columbus on the New Year's Eve 1996, Kenny. Oh, I like my version better, though. I think it's I was I so too. excited. I was so excited. And, and this is a moment I was like, this is why they hired Madonna is because they're going to be able to make a commercial like hit songs from this score again. Yeah. I love that remix so much and I also think it is the cheesiest oh, thing ever. Magic. and Donna are sort of like kind of riffing, you know, later in the song. I'm like, what? 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 What?
it's great though, and I think I, I do think it, it helped make the box office for it really strong because the gays came out and we all we all were the first night it, it premiered it premiered in early '97 um, at wider release after after its premiere at the Shrine in LA. Um, and Madonna looking very regal, by the way. Yes. She she was so, you know, um, we were all packed. I mean, it was a packed audience in Columbus when, when it premiered in early 97. But this is a great example of Madonna being a disciplined team player. The rollout of Evita. Oh, my God. Is so, yeah. she is so in the zone of I am going to be regal. I'm going to be commercial. I'm going to be conservative. Um, I'm going to talk about my baby that I'm, I'm having. I am totally like, I'm going to be on Oprah. I'm going to be on Rosie. I'm going to be on morning talk shows. I'm going to do whatever they need me to do to she, make this movie a hit. Yeah. She did so much press. It's unbelievable. Like when I started to go through and like try to read and capture everything, I was like, it's impossible. I can't believe how much she did. And all of, you know, and this is still during the time, Mark and I have talked about this a lot, Emily, like that this is really like up through Ray of Light, which is the next sort of, you know, the album coming out next. It's really like the last time she gives these really like in-depth open, she really opens like the door to her. She gives so many really like frank and candid interviews during this time, including an amazing one with Kurt Loder on the set um, where it's, they're in Budapest and she's, and she's obviously pregnant like you can see it but it hasn't been announced yet and she just talks and talks and talks about the role she talks about what she's doing and but she's really on point with the show like she really is there to sell this thing she knows that it's important she thinks that she can win an oscar i mean she really does you know she's yes. really going for that she's positioning herself there and um yeah she's she is just there for everything Emily, what what about do you think that like what is the responsibility of the star to these kinds of projects? Because it, she really does. I mean, it, it, it is. Yes, it's a big film for um, the studio and it's an Alan Parker movie, but it does become a Madonna movie. It's a Madonna movie. Yeah. Yeah. She's the brand. Right. Uh, Evita isn't the brand. Um, although the mega musicals, which this is an early one, I would call it an early mega musical um, in the kind of Jessica Sternfeld definition of mega musical. Oh, essentially shows that are like global, that they're packaged so that they can be reproduced all over. They start to record all the tracks and record all the cues. So it's through computer so that you just have to say, you know, here's the flash drive. Here's here's how you Plug do it Wicked. Here's you know Wicked. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah a recognizable logo that you don't necessarily have to, to read English to know that this is the image of what this piece is. Think any, really any musical falls under the mega category today because they all package themselves like this. But then also, the, especially the ones of this era, like late 70s through the 80s, um, it's like epic number after epic number, keeping the emotions high of the audience. And almost all of them are sung through. Not all, but almost all of them. So it's this like reproducibility, keeping the audience, you know, on the edge of their seat here. There's like no relax. It's one after the other um, to have that kind of huge, that huge like release at the end and walk mm -hmm. away. Um, and so, you know, 
mega musicals kind of got rid of the director as the star. They kind of got rid of the star performer as star. And it was about the kind of brand recognition. And this is, this is Andrew Lloyd Webber. This is really Cameron McIntosh that really kind of made this shift in producing of these shows. Um, And then all the directors and folks that worked with them. Uh, But I think the idea that um, this was us as Kenny brought up many times, this was, a Madonna show because of her lobbying for it, because of her, um, you know, really wanting to, as she's done throughout her career. And you already said this as well, reinvent herself for that moment. Right. Which is so much. And then she's, she's going to do it with the, as you said, with the Ray of light album coming next is like the new phase. Right. For her. Um, I think, she probably put a lot more responsibility on herself than she maybe wanted. However, because of who she was, it does put, you know, put that weight that I need to present myself as, you know, because I want this to be that next transition. She tried the film world transition and it had not worked successfully before. So I think there was the, yeah, I'm going to be me, but I'm also pl- much more so playing the game of fitting into this role, doing what the studio wants from me to take myself to that next step. So that also, as you said, Kenny, from the get-go, battles with what this piece is and also combats what the mega musical is because it mm-hmm. isn't about that solo performer, even though, as you mentioned many times, the show does really rely on three, maybe five, if you do those extra two roles. It's not about that. It's about set. It's about spectacle. It's about brand of the piece as a whole. And when Madonna becomes the brand, that that conflicts with what the the structure of this genre is really. Well, and it's really interesting because this musical, the success of it, and and obviously Madonna does wind up winning a Golden Globe for her performance as in a best uh, actress in a musical or comedy. Nicole Mm -hmm. Kidman, our friend Nikki Kidman, shows up to give her the award, um, who had won the year before for To Die For. Um, Madonna is post-baby. She beats out. Um, Barbara Streisand, Barbara, all kinds Francis of crazy McDormand people. Francis McDormand, who winds up winning the Oscar yeah. later that year. But Antonio Banderas also wins Golden Globe for his performance. Yeah. So they really woo the 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 Golden Globe people. And but she she is she is post baby. She is voluptuous. She looks so happy. She looks kind yeah. of relieved. <laughs> yes. Yes. With and Carlos. she she. She's very thankful and and just grateful and um and it's interesting the way that that's those are all very interesting observations about the the push and pull of uh it can't not be focused on Madonna but it also can't it's not designed to be at the same time yeah. um yeah. how does the babe how does Lourdes and and Madonna having being pregnant during shooting and then announcing she's pregnant, which sends off a global firestorm. <laughs> and no, it does. I mean, it was crazy. We were like, what's going on? Who's Carlos Leon? And um, I'm just kidding. I love you, Carlos. And, uh, and, and having the baby and birthing her child, just as her big movie is being birthed into the world. I mean, and the, you can't time it better. No, but it wasn't planned, Mark. 
it wasn't planned. <laughs> but it really is amazing. Like it really does like, because when she shows up on the red carpet, it's one of the first times we've seen her post baby. It's like, mm-hmm. she just had Lourdes like a month or so before. Yeah. And she's showing up, she's with Carlos and a whole bunch of other people who I don't know who they are, but they're not her normal people. It looks like Lourdes, like uh, Carlos's family. I know it's not, but it looks like, I'm like, I don't know who all these people are, but- Well, well Liz was, the, the validator oh, yeah. Liz, was there. Liz yeah. Rosenberg was there to of kind course. of negotiate everything, but- <laughs> But yeah, I think there is this moment of like she's she's reborn in that moment too, or she this is the thing she's been working towards. Like especially when we're tracking her from like our season two, like from erotica, where she's so outside, you know, sort of persona non grata, to this moment where she's right in the center, and she's she is so comfortable actually. Like her speech at the Golden Globes is one of the obviously rehearsed because she rehearses everything, but it hits every single thing she needs to do in the right amount of time. And it's super gracious. It's the nicest I've ever seen her on stage. I have been so incredibly blessed this past year and I have much to be thankful for. I, um, making this movie was, um, an incredible adventure for me, both, artistically and spiritually and I learned so much and I will never forget it the experience and I must thank first and foremost Alan Parker for for believing in me and for giving me this opportunity and for making such an exquisite film I would also like to thank Antonio Bendaras and Jonathan Price and Jimmy Nail and the rest of the cast and crew for being so supportive and for raising the level of my game. Everybody knows the history of this movie. It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off, it was this director, it was that producer. So I have to say God bless you to Robert Stigwood for persevering. And to Andy Vanya for having the foresight and for also believing in us. And then finally, I would like to thank um, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice for writing such beautiful music and inspiring us all. Thank you. She, she does look phenomenal. I love that her hair is like, she somehow like her hair keeps her head to the side the whole time. I don't know if you all noticed that. <laughs> well, and the, and the dress is like two sizes too small. Like well, she's I, she like clearly picked that dress out before know? she had the baby. Yeah, <laughs> She was like, we're going to get me in this if it kills us. Well, that's now all she wears, by the way. But like, um, well, anyway. and, and, and <laughs> how you're describing her is very political and it's very yeah. Evita. Yeah. It's very Ava Perone. She's, it's very, very calculated. It's very mm-hmm. with that warmth that the the piece lacks. She's still yeah. a warm, approachable person. But it is. A, it's a political. It's a. It's a. Oh, it's a. It's sure. a. It's a speech. It's a political she's, speech. She's playing the game because she really mm-hmm. is at this point still pretty sure she's going to get an Oscar nomination. Which then yeah, she's campaigning. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, which then she doesn't get. And I remember when she didn't get that nomination that she had, she put out a great statement. She's like, I'm disappointed, but you know, my priorities are in place. Like she has a lot of other things going on and we know that she actually means that because then she, you know, as um, I think it's Billy Crystal, right? At the Oscars yes. before she sings, you must love me, which is up for an Academy award and then, and then goes on to win says, you know, Hey, Madonna's, well, he'll say it better. We'll, we'll play the clip of him. Ladies and gentlemen, before I introduce Madonna, I want to say one thing that, um, what? Even though she was not nominated and there was a lot of speculation, speculation that she was going to be, she accepted the invitation. Actually, she called the show to say she wanted to sing and uh, come here tonight. And I thought that was showing a great deal of class. So here she is. So here she is to sing a song, Don't Cry For Me Because I'll Get Back At You If It Takes Me The Rest Of My Life. <laughs> Just joshing. Please welcome the one and only Madonna. Um, and, and it's also a dig at Barbara Streisand, right? Because Barbara yeah. was supposed to sing and said no and then you told me the story wasn't it mark yeah. oh it's 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 tawdry it's tawdry, like shit. tawdry. Uh, you know billy crystal billy crystal gets involved in some shady moments during his academy ah. he is so <laughs> underrated as an oscar host he gets some shady digs into some of these people throughout the years but yeah so streisand was supposed to sing um i finally found someone from the mirror has two faces yeah um, it was only nominated for that it really didn't get any other nominations Similar to Evita, was it got some production nominations, but the big nomination was for the song and was probably its best likely candidate to win. Um, and I and so um, she was supposed to sing at Streisand, but then when she didn't get nominated and nothing else from her film did, she decided not to do it. Celine Dion, who was already slated to sing "Because You Loved Me" from Up Close and Personal which I love yes, and also yes. written by Joan Didion and John, D John Dunn. They wrote the screenplay for oh, that. I was like, um, they wrote the song. They no, they wrote the screenplay and Diane Warren wrote the song yeah, because yeah, you yeah. loved me. And um, my goddess, Stalker Channing has a small cameo in that movie, which I really love anyway. So um, Celine Dion was scheduled to sing because you loved me and was also did it. And then because Streisand backed out, she um, was asked to sing uh, I finally found someone as well, which she does with a music stand because she's yeah, worried she'll forget it. the lyrics, yeah. which is so diva-y. I love it. But when uh, Crystal says this on the Oscar, they flash to Barbara Streisand, who's giggling with, um, you know, uh, Brolin, her yeah. husband is already yeah. James Brolin's already like ensconced in Streisand land. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I kind of push back on Madonna insisting she would do it. Madonna was not going to let anybody else sing her yeah. song. Who was going like, to sing yeah. it? Who was going to sing it? Let's all calm down. Madonna's going to show up at the Oscars. She's going to sing her song. I don't care if she's nominated or like not invited. She's going to be there. And I want to mm -hmm. highlight that her two performances at the Oscars are singing a Sondheim song five years earlier. Which right? wins. Which wins. And then singing an Andrew Lloyd Webber song, which also wins. Vastly different performances. 
vastly different looks. Um, However, I will make a note of it that she does not sit in the audience during that um, second performance. She is not sitting in the front row with Michael Jackson this time around. (laughs) No, no, she's She's not not even, she doesn't um, sit there. She doesn't um, sit sit in the audience. She's just backstage. She looks really great. The gown is gorgeous that she's wearing. She has bangs in the, which I've like, where did the bangs come from? But we never know. I love the bangs. I mean, is the, hair real is, hair? the hair is golden and, and some new color. It was. And I think great. she sounds really great on the song. I think at the beginning, a little wobbly because she's always wobbly at the beginning. She's, she's nervous. nervous. She's nervous. Um, but it, work into it. <laughs> yeah. It wor- yeah. Right. And, and it works for the song, too, because the song, ha- you know, is generous in that sense of like it starts out so quiet and Where do we go from here? This isn't where we intended to be. We had it all. You believed in me. I believed in you. Certainties disappear. We should talk specifically about song because we haven't done that and i feel like that's the thing that we should really address so thoughts on the song i was ready for this song when it came out i knew there would be a a new song for it and um i was ready for this song um it it reminds me of one more chance from uh something to remember it has this stripped down beauty to it that we were kind of moving towards anyway. It doesn't feel like out of Madonna brand for 1995, 1996. Um, And I think had we not had the fun campiness of the uh, Don't Cry For Me Argentina and Buenos Aires mixes, I I would not be as appreciative of it because I kind of look at those three songs as kind of like the little mini EP from Evita. If you were a casual fan Mm. and you must love me, it's got this beauty and there's a simplicity to it. Um, I also love her vocal and also how close she seems to the mic. It's very intimate. It's very, it's very close. And, um, and, and, and Emily, you may feel differently, but it sounds like Madonna. It's a Madonna song versus yeah. Madonna as Ava. It doesn't feel like Ava. I don't feel like she's singing it as Ava. Probably because yeah. we don't see her sing it in the movie. That's what I was just going to say because it lets it be, and that. But that's why it lends itself so well to so many different interpretations, right? And the music video, right? She's leaning on the piano that they made for it. And it's this, you know, it, 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 it does have this intimacy in this moment to it, which, you know, the, the piece is asking, right? You are commanding, you must love me, you know, um, in repetition. Uh, I do feel it, let her be, let her, t- you know, again, I'm thinking through acting beats and that kind of stuff. And it let her tap more into, into her than into what that, you know, partially maybe also because there were no ghosts of Lapone. There were no ghosts of Paige with this song. It let her have an ownership to it that she wasn't allowed with, with this other material. Um, Yes. And it was written for her, which helps, but there was no, you know, she is worried about perception and there was, there were no preconceived notions, no horizons of expectations for what this, like how this song would be. It gave her that moment. And 
because as you, as you just said, and we already said the way it's done in the film, it lets it be this, you know, Madonna song in the background of the school, of the score, um, the way it's used, the way they use it in the revival, she's on the ground singing to, to Juan, right. Um, that's the way it's used in, I think that's the way city center did it as well. Cause they included it too. Um, and so they put it in and let it be part of the narrative, which the film doesn't do, but it's so smart. It lets it be her moment. I, I think it works well, well. And now, and now there's a little Madonna thumbprint in the score because if it's right. included now, Madonna has a tiny little like money note in the, in the, in the, the ghosts of that, of that role now, because that is a Madonna song. It applies to Ava's life. Like it is a character song for her, but so much I think about, I do think about it as Madonna singing these words. Like, where do we go from here? I've come and made these changes. I've tried what you wanted me to do. I'm not, you know, I'm studying and training and doing this work. You must love me for this. (laughs) You know, it's, it's her words in so many ways. That's exactly right. I mean, this is the thing that we go back to time and time again with Madonna. Like there are these moments where you're like, I think this is true. Yeah. You know, and that's that's her iconography. It's like where we believe that she's actually speaking directly to us or that it is truly her story. And then how that meshes in with this other story is so fascinating. And I think that's what makes the song important. And I think it is absolutely just a beautiful song, too, you know. Yeah. Um, But But to your point, Kenny, it's important. It's an essential moment in Madonna history, and and it arrives right at the middle of this turbulent, full of change decade in the 90s. They were so, and and the, the moment in the song that I think is so stunning is the lyric, frightened you'll slip away. What do we do for a dream to survive? How do we keep all our passions alive as we used to do? Frightened you'll slip away You must love me You must love me Your attention will slip away and your engagement in my work will slip away and what I represent to you. Like she she is in full ownership of her power, her influence, and what it means to her, which I think is something new that she's just spent the last few years negotiating and thinking about. Yeah, and it sort of builds on like 
the Avita story itself or that, you know, that she, in this way, it's like, Oh, you, you know, she, every interview would be like, you chose this because you're so like her. And, you know, you'd be like, okay, yeah, she came from nothing and she rose up. She's obviously not a political leader though. In a lot of ways she would consider herself this, but in this moment too, where she's at now at the center of American culture at the, you know, I'm at the Oscars or I'm at, I'm at that moment where we're all considering this is the height. It is a feat and it's a pure feat of like will, you know, which I think goes to the Evita story or that, you know, in a lot of ways of like, it was really her will that brought her forward, like this desire to be at the yeah. center. And this yeah. is around yeah. also the time that she starts doing the Oscar party with Guy Siri, and yeah. that starts to be a thing. So she, she, Evita really puts her and that golden globe kind of puts her, um, it gives her a kind of credibility that she continues to have in when she wants to use it in film. So the movie, the movie opens and it's a big success for Madonna, not so much for the box office or for the critics. She wins the golden globe. She spends the rest of the year hanging out with the baby and thinking about Ray light. Um, where do you think it fits now? Do you think Kenny if Madonna would show up at a screening of this for the AFI? A hundred percent. I mean, I was thinking about this, um, where it fits into her, her story it's it is perfect like it's a story that yeah it was divisive it's um political it was um also though popular and but it, it sort of shows like her choosing material that's a little more difficult than another kind of pop star would choose like who else would do this that was at the sort of place in their careers that she was and still is um, so I think it sits really well. And I think that she probably is really proud of this time of her life. I think this was a major feat and it really did shift her in so many ways. And vocally we reap the rewards specifically in Ray of Light, um, you know, um, where she takes so many new risks with her voice mm. and also discovers more ways of playing with her voice for the next 10 years after that, you know, yeah. You know, so, yeah, I think it's I think that she'd be she'd be there and would stand behind this as an important film. May I ask a question? Where does this live in like a kind of Evita fandom? Is it a like removed like kind of blip or is it? Yes, Evita is part or where does it live in Madonna fandom? Sorry, I missed. Uh, like, I see, because I was like, I, was like, I think I'm so I, I don't sorry. think all the Avas get together for coffee and discuss, you know, <laughs> how, how sorry, did you sorry. hit that note in Rainbow High? Well, I would say just as like an out, like less musical theater entrenched than both of you are that for me, it's been a problematic moment, like a moment I've been not I've been very um, not excited about having this conversation. Like, meaning, like I don't, I don't, it's like, it's like I could kind of forget about this and be okay. Like I said, this is the moment where I was like, okay, my friend Madonna is telling me I have to go to this thing. So I'm going. Um, and like, that's how it sat in my memory until this revisiting. I'll say this conversation today and the last couple of weeks of looking at all this stuff has changed my perspective, but I don't know. I'd be curious. I'd be, I, I think there are much more 
serious Madonna fans in the sense of like they'll the, anything she does is amazing, and so this may be really important to more other Madonna fans. But I don't know. What do you think, Mark? I um, I it's definitely a triumph. I think that Madonna fans see it as a triumphant moment for Madonna. She clearly wanted to do the film. It was very well documented how long she'd been trying to make it happen, um, and I think her narrative around all the press, particularly after the film came out and definitely the Oprah interview she did post baby, which was just as much about her post baby having a baby as it was about Evita, but conveniently it was about both. Um, she talks about, you know, all the similarities and, and, and the kind of the ordeal that she went through to get it made. I think there's this interesting tension with Madonna fans in and her film career after this point of the time she spends on movies that take away from her music uh, career. Mm -hmm. um, the last thing I want her to do is to do another Evita where she's gone for three years. And I remember... Um, and this was in the early age of social media when she was film making them film We, which was her directorial, her her second film that she made as a director. Um, every day we would get a, a photo, a paparazzi shot of her making the movie. And I would watch these paparazzi shots always in a scarf and a hat. And I'd be like, God, she's wasting so much time on this project. <laughs> I want her to make a new album. And I think that this was the last time that Madonna fans were like, Good for Madonna. She's taking these two, this year and a half to make Evita, not tour. She's she didn't tour behind bedtime stories or something to remember because she was making Evita and then she had Lourdes. And um, after this, no, everyone's like, well, you know, every because everything she does after this in the film world, it it winds up being a frustrating disappointment. Mm -hmm. And she could have been making another. Uh, album or more music or this or that. Wait, and I think, think the, um, the next best thing is a disappointment. Oh girl. <laughs> <laughs> wait till, wait till our reckoning with American pie. Um, but I think so in that way, I think it, it, I, I think it's regarded as a success, a triumphant and a worthy use of her time. <laughs> and as, as like we that. all continue to, to, to ripen, um, her time becomes more precious. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's mostly what I mean. Like, good for you. I'm so proud of you. I'm totally here for you. Please don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thank you, Emily, so much for joining us for this wonderful conversation about Avita. Yes, thank you. I so appreciate much. it. Thank you. We're gonna we're gonna send you um, clips of Kenny performing um, the Mistress song from the original Broadway cast album. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I love it. So what <laughs> happens now? Till next time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. It's good to be back after 13 years. Too long, right? Never again, right? Okay, one more time. This isn't where we intended to be.
How do we keep all our passion? 